Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. All right, in just a few minutes, what we're going to do is we're going to put our faith into practice very tangibly, actually tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, the songs that we just sang at the end of this service when we go to communion. And to prepare you for communion, we're now at the point in the Gospel of John where we start to learn about Jesus' trial, his sacrifice, and his death. If you have been with us, we have been studying for many months in the gospel book of John, and the subtitle to this sermon series is Jesus IRL, in real life. What does following Jesus look like tomorrow at school or tomorrow at work? Well, we're going to get into the, one of the most profound questions I think ever mentioned anywhere on the planet, not just in the Bible, But there's a question that is asked today in the Bible that all of us need to wrestle with. Every human being needs to wrestle with this question. You live in an unprecedented time. I'm not telling you something that you don't already know. Because we live in the information age, you have access now, get this, to more information than all of human history put together. In fact, the researcher said, just the newspaper that you read today, do you realize one edition of one newspaper is more information than people 200 years ago had in an entire lifetime? 125 years ago, when radio was invented, for the first time ever in human history, people started having information delivered into their homes. And then in the 1930s, when television began to take off. The BBC broadcast their first television show ever, 1930s, and it started to carry across the world. And you all know the rest of this phrase, a picture is worth what? A thousand words. So now people are in their living rooms and they're watching motion pictures of what's happening around the world. Human history's never had access to that kind of information. Then the internet. And way back in the day, some of you in this room remember it, I do too, you had to fire up a modem to your uh, your home computer and get this radically slow internet connection with a spinning wheel that took this long just to get one page to load. And now the world has all of the human records available in their pocket. It's everywhere. It's everywhere you look, it's every second of every day, it's everywhere you look on the scenes of life, and it is so pervasive that if you're not careful, you'll start to listen to the information that you see around you, and you're going to start to be fed a lie. And here's the truth. Because we live in this information age, you have a challenge in front of you that the rest of human history never had to deal with. You have this constant, relentless barrage of information. It's coming to you from what you hear, and it's coming to you from what you read, and it's coming to you from what you see. But it's not just the internet, it's not just television or radio, it's on billboards, and it's in magazines, and everywhere you look, you're inundated with information, and ultimately that information is trying to tell you about you. It's trying to tell you where to find value. 
It's trying to tell you what your worth in a human being is. And if you don't look like this influencer on Instagram, then I guess you're just not pretty enough. And if you don't make as much money as that guy in the magazine, I guess you're just not talented enough. And we're being bombarded with that kind of information every day. Those lies are screaming for your attention. And what you're going to hear from the Bible today is a very sinful very sincere question that if you will wrestle with it, it will radically change your life. See, the truth is lies are shouting every second from every corner of life, everywhere you look, it's almost impossible to escape it. But the simple truth of life usually comes to you in a whisper. And if you can learn to tune out the lies, that truth will transform you. What I want you to hear today is that the simple truth of life will drown out all of the loud lies if you let them. Now, would you look on the screen right there? Do you see the word truth is capitalized? It's capitalized, capital T. In fact, if you're looking in the sermon notes on the mobile app, every time the word truth is used today, it's capitalized because we're using it as a proper name. We're using it to refer to a person, not a concept. Jesus, when he had his disciples around him, John chapter 14, verse 6 said this, I am the way, I am the, and I am the life. And then he said, no one comes to the Father but by me. Did you notice that Jesus said to his disciples, I am the truth? He didn't say, I know the truth. He didn't say, I speak the truth. He said, I am the truth. And if you want to know the truth, you got to get to know me. Because I am God's truth for human existence. And without me, you don't know the truth. Which means all of the lies on the internet, all the lies on the billboards, in the radio, on movies, in the magazines, it's all lies if you're not listening to the capital T, truth. And today, truth capital T, is placed on trial. And truth is distorted. It's, it's uh, condemned, and ultimately, truth is let off to die today. John chapter 18, we're going to start reading the Bible in just a moment in John chapter 28. And the first thing that I want you to hear from the Bible before we even get into the passage of Scripture is sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes the truth is inconvenient. And you will run away from the truth because of the hard uh, reality. If I really say I believe this and I act like it, I have no choice but to change my life. I want to challenge you right out of the gate. Don't sacrifice truth for convenience. Here's the, here's the deal. I often, when I'm sharing my faith with people, before I even get into who Jesus is and what he did for them, I'll start to ask them where they are and what they believe. And then in the course of the conversation, I'll ask them this question. If what you believed wasn't true, would you want somebody to tell you? The overwhelming majority of the times, people say, yeah, if what I was believing wasn't true, I would want somebody to tell me that. But more than once, I've had somebody say, no. And I'm like, what? What do you mean, no? And they're like, no, if what I believe isn't true, I don't want to know that it's not true because, and here's the, the kicker, I know I'll have to change what I behave if what I believe changes. And I don't want to know. So I'm just going to blindly go through life believing a myth rather than an inconvenient truth. And that's what's happening 
with some priests and pastors today. And I am convinced if this story were to take place in Columbus, Georgia, in the year 2022, the exact same thing would happen. And it would be pastors and priests that would put the Son of God to death because of how boldly he preached against the way that they represent God. John chapter 18, starting in verse 28. Then they, the religious leaders and the guards, led Jesus from Caiaphas, high priest, to the governor's headquarters. This is the seat of Roman power in Jerusalem. And the governor we're going to learn today is a guy by the name of Pontius Pilate, the Roman representative for Caesar in Jerusalem and in Israel. Then they led him from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. That's very important. Underline it if you have a paper Bible. They did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would be defiled and unable to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and said, what charge do you bring against this man? Now, I'm going to keep reading in just a second, but I need to point out a couple of things. The Romans got up pretty early in the morning, typically six or seven o'clock in the morning. And in the original language, what this actually says is they brought Jesus to the Roman governor at the fourth watch, the last moments before sunlight. This is the earliest possible time that they could go knock on Pilate's door is what the Bible is telling you. And these guys wanted to get rid of Jesus so bad that they were waiting before the doors were unlocked. Jesus has just gone through arrest in the garden. They placed him on trial in front of the high priest and they asked Jesus some questions. And up to this point, Jesus has just kept his mouth shut and not given deliberate answers to deliberate questions. He's just been silent on his own trial up to this point. And these hypocrites, and this is the nicest word that I have because if I, if I use the word that I really want to use right here, you'd have to bleep it out of the sermon. These priests are about to celebrate the most important religious holiday of the year, the Passover. I want you to think about it like Thanksgiving, Easter, and Christmas all rolled up into one. And because these are Jewish traditions, these Jews can't go into the house of a Gentile. So they're banging on Pilate's door and they're demanding that Pilate do something about Jesus, but they won't step across the threshold into his house because if they do that, they can't celebrate the Passover. They can offer a sacrificial lamb. They can burn the meat on an altar, but they can't eat it. And so these hypocrites are willing to sentence the Son of God to die instead of being even instead of even having the courage to step across the threshold into Pilate's residence or the governor's house. They bring Jesus to Pilate, and they basically say, here he is, we want you to pass judgment on him. And Pilate's first question is, what's going on here? Because I don't know, uh, somebody help get me up to speed, right? They answered him, if this man weren't a criminal... We wouldn't have handed him over to you. Hold on a second. Pilate asked, what's the charge? And they don't even answer Pilate, right? They don't even give him a legit answer. They just said, hey, we don't bring people to you if he's not a criminal, so here's the deal. We want him to die, literally. Pilate told him, sounds like a problem with your own traditions, your own law. You take him. You judge him according to your law. And here's where they tip their hand. First thing in the morning, as soon as Pilate unlocks the door, it's not legal for us to put anyone to death. 
the Jews replied. And they said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled. Say fulfilled out loud. Jesus' words might be fulfilled, indicating what kind of death that he was going to die. They have already decided, we need to kill this guy, but we have a problem. Jesus is a real pain for us. He's making our life miserable, but it's Passover, and our religious rituals don't allow us to pass capital punishment on Passover. We can do it after the Passover festival is over with, but if we are going to crucify this guy. If we're going to kill this guy right now, we can't do it because it's the middle of our holy ceremony. So we're going to have to hand him over to the, Jew, or to the Romans, and we're going to have to convince the Romans to kill him. They don't even have the courage to follow through with the very thing that they're challenging Pilate to do. So Pilate says, what's the problem here? And they use, uh, they evade the question, hey, if he wasn't a criminal, if he didn't do something wrong, and actually the language that they use here is evildoer, if he wasn't an evildoer, we wouldn't have brought him to you in the first place. And Pilate, we want him to die. We want him to die today, and we can't do it because it's Passover, so we need you to kill him for us. And now Pilate is stuck in the middle of this intrigue. And for the rest of history, his name will be associated with what happens next that we're going to hear about today in the Bible. There's this message that Jesus has been consistently preaching to all of the notorious sinners in town, to all of the prostitutes, to all of the drug addicts, to everybody who's ever embezzled, who everybody's who had an affair, anybody who's had an abortion, anybody who's ever done wrong, he's telling them, come to me and find forgiveness, and then I will turn you around, and I will change you. Go sin no more. But when he stands before the pastors and priests, he blows them away with both barrels. And even his disciples say, whoa, Jesus, that was rude what you just said to those religious leaders. You know you just made them mad by saying that. And Jesus' answer is, I don't care. They deserve it. And his criticism is, the way you're doing church is all wrong. And I kicked over the money tables and I drove out the marketplace because the type of church that you're doing is distorting what people think about my God. Just this week, no exaggeration, I was talking to a buddy. I haven't worked with an army buddy of mine. I haven't worked with him in almost 30 years. And after the conversation was over with, just out of the middle of nowhere, he said, you know, I'm a pretty spiritual guy, but I don't like going to church. That just came out of nowhere. And obviously he said it to me because we work together as sergeants in the Ranger Regiment and now he knows that I'm a pastor. And he said, here's my problem with churches. They all seem like businesses to me and it appears that they don't care about me. They only care about my money. So I kind of like Jesus, but I just don't like Jesus' church. And I think that guy was saying what Jesus was saying to the priests and the pastors in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago when he was saying, you work all your life to create a convert, and when you do, that person becomes more a disciple of hell. Jesus is literal language than somebody who comes and finds forgiveness of me because the kind of God that you're representing and the type of church that you're trying to, destroy, uh, trying to create, it's more of a business than it is a family that's following their father. And that inconvenient truth is going to cost Jesus his life. 
And sometimes when you and I look in the mirror, there's a truth that if somebody's speaking to us, the truth hurts, and you have a choice to make. Am I going to model my life on the truth, or am I just going to keep on doing what I want to do, even though I know there's this sinking or there's this small voice deep inside of me that's telling me, you know what you're doing is wrong, and you're doing it because what you believe is wrong. And your beliefs always impact your behavior. It doesn't work the other way around all the time, but your beliefs always dictate the way that you behave. It's hard to live out the consistent Christian life today, especially when you're barraged with information that's challenging you to to fall into temptation, to give into sin. It's really hard, but it gets even harder when you try to do right and then people start to criticize you and they start to put pressure on you because you living right in front of them is making their life a little bit uncomfortable. And I just want to challenge you, don't let pressure cause you to fall into temptation. Don't let pressure stifle Jesus' voice in your life. Let's pick the story up now in verse 33. Then Pilate went into his headquarters. I'm going to add that in parentheses here. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters, and he summoned Jesus, and he said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? In the original language, Pilate is emphasizing, Who are you? Who is this guy that's standing in front of me that these priests hate so bad that they're willing to kill on Passover day and they want him dead so bad that they want me to do it because they don't have the religious right. They don't have the the, uh, spiritual authority to kill this guy today. Who are you? Are you a king? And Jesus asked them a pretty important question. Why do you want to know? That's basically what Jesus is asking. Jesus answered, are you asking this on your own? Or have others told you about me? I think this conversation is very natural. I think it's not at all threatening at this point between Pilate and Jesus. But now Pilate just got his feathers ruffled a little bit because Pilate says, I am not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied, your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Basically, What could possibly be so bad that they're ready to kill you on Passover day? My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. And I'm convinced Pilate stops and his mouth is hanging open for a second before he answers. You are a king then? Pilate asked, and Jesus, um, this is Jesus' reply. You say that I am a king? Jesus replied, I was born for this. You could put in here, born to be king, but actually born for what's coming today. I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this. To testify, say those next three words on the screen to testify of the truth. I am the son of God and God cannot lie. If he could lie, he would no longer be God. And because I am the son of God, I am God in human flesh. I cannot lie. Every word that's come out of my mouth is the truth. I have come to testify to the truth. And then Jesus is talking to you in what he says next. Everyone who is of the truth, I want to put capital T there, 
Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And that stopped Pilate in his tracks. In fact, I'm convinced that Pilate has heard so many lies for so long that he questions his own ability to hear the truth and to recognize it. Because here's the question that every human being that walks on planet Earth needs to ask. What is truth? In fact, I wish it would have said, who is truth? Said Pilate. Pilate is standing in front of Jesus, and I want to just give Pilate a little benefit of the doubt here. The Jews bring a criminal, evildoer, to Pilate, and they say, this guy is so bad, Pilate, that you've got to kill him, and you've got to kill him today on Passover because he is such a threat to the peace and stability of the region. And Pilate's like, what on earth did this guy do that they want him dead this bad? So he calls Jesus into the praetorium, into his palace where his personal bodyguard is. And he starts to question Jesus. And the questions are about Jesus's authority. And I want you to notice Jesus makes a stark contrast here between here kingdom and the heavenly kingdom. Jesus doesn't hide the fact that he's a king. In fact, Pilate hears that pretty clearly, right? And then Jesus describes the kingdom that the Roman emperor sits on. That's not my kingdom. If it was the here kingdom, I wouldn't have servants. I would have soldiers. And soldiers do what a general on the battlefield tells them to do. And my soldiers would fight for me. This is Jesus's two cities. If it was the here city that I was king over and only the here city, then my people would fight for me. But it's not the here city. It's the heavenly city. And because I belong to the heavenly city, because that's my kingdom, they're not fighting for me. In fact, instead of fighting, they're turning the other cheek. Instead of fighting, they're now servants that will watch me suffer and watch me die. And everybody else grasps for power and hangs on to it, grasp as much as they can and hangs on to it for as long as they can while they're here on earth, not Jesus. Jesus says, this isn't my kingdom. My kingdom is up there. And I didn't call soldiers. I brought servants to follow me. But don't get this mistaken, y'all. I, I need you to remember Revelation chapter 19. One day, the heavenly kingdom will become the here kingdom. One day, Jesus will come back as the rider on the white horse. One day, his soldiers will come with him. And that's the final day when there's no hope, no chance at repentance. It's over. And wherever you are with God on that day is where you're going to spend the rest of eternity. If you're far from him on that day, you're going to spend eternity far from him. And if you're one of his on that day, you will spend an eternity with him. And Jesus says, I can prove it to you. When I speak truth because they know me, because truth is a person, and when I speak it, they hear it because they know me. You can't hear it because you don't know me. So I can talk till I'm blue in the face, but it's just not going to make any impact with you because you don't know me. And the whole difference between these two groups is two different kingdoms. Is it a here kingdom or a heavenly kingdom? In fact, Jesus commands us to pray this way. Let your kingdom, let your will be done on earth as it is where? 
as it is in heaven. God, you've left us here on earth to push back darkness, and it's our, jo- it's our goal to make here like your kingdom until you bring your kingdom down to here, and here becomes your kingdom. That's our goal while we're still here. Listen, oftentimes people will silence what they know in their heart to be the truth because of the peer pressure around them. This week, I was listening to Eugene Peterson's memoirs. He wrote a book called Pastor. And in this book, Eugene Peterson talks about the most influential person in his life. He never wanted to be a pastor, never thought he would be a pastor. He always wanted to be a writer, and he eventually became a pastor who writes. He thought he was going to be a writer who talks about God. When Eugene Peterson was a kid, he grew up in Montana. These are back in the days where Montana was tough living. And people in Montana were cowboys, and they were truckers, and it was hard living, and there were hard men in Montana. Peterson grew up in a very, very uh, committed Christian family. His dad was a butcher. And his mom was a homemaker and a passionate follower of Jesus. And they were in church regularly. But Peter says, the most powerful sermons that I ever heard in my life were not preached from a pastor in church. It was actually my mom. Listen to this. Peter says, when I was a kid, my mom would grab me, seven, eight, nine years old, Sunday night, she would load us up in the car, she would go to the truck stop, she would go to where the cowboys are, and she would gather them around, and she would say, hey, can I talk to you about my faith? Can I start talking to you about Jesus? And then Peter says, to this day, the most powerful words that I've heard spoken over Je- about Jesus was my mother speaking to those truck drivers and cowboys. She did this for years, and many, many of them Their lives were touched by Jesus, and they were radically changed because of his mother until one day. Eugene was with his mom at church, and one of the white-haired old men leaders in the church came up to Eugene Peter's mother and said, how dare you preach? How dare you teach outside of the church? How dare you speak at all because the Bible commands you to be silent and listen to your husband? Eugene Peterson says that's the last day his mother ever left to go talk to cowboys and go tell truck drivers about Jesus because that religious hypocrite shut her down in her tracks and she never said another word to guys because somebody told her what she was doing is wrong. To the, his dying day, Eugene Peterson said, I've never heard a more eloquent teaching or explanation of who Jesus is than I did my mother at those truck stops, but she stopped saying it completely. When the religious hypocrites shut her down and told her to shut up, be silent, and be submissive to her husband in the home, you have no business talking to people about Jesus. That's your husband's job. And it still happens. I hear the horror stories from seminary students in classroom of women that have been treated today just like Eugene Peterson's mother was treated, just like Jesus was treated. When those priests 
And religious leaders said, how dare you? You don't even have an education. How dare you stand up and tell us about the law? They just happened to forget what John says. He's the guy who wrote the law. He's the one who delivered the law to Moses. Certainly he has the authority to interpret the law and apply the law. But they did everything they can to shut truth up. And then finally, what you're going to hear is pretty soon, the swell of voices can become so loud that if you listen to those voices, you'll stop hearing the simple truth. Soren Kierkegaard put it this way, more people, less truth. The bigger the crowd gets, the harder it is to hear the truth because the crowd is selfish and they will always say what serves their best interest. And they will silence Jesus' voice, listen church, if you let them. And what these religious leaders are trying to do is just shut up this rebel teacher because he is criticizing them at the same time that he's calling the notorious centers of town into a relationship with himself. Here's how John chapter 18 wraps up. And what we read next is the last few words before Jesus is led off to his death. After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again. Now, the he that we're talking about is Pilate. When he asked the question, I've heard so many lies, I don't even know if I can distinguish the truth anymore. After he'd said this to Jesus, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I found no grounds for charging him. Now, if you look at the word grounds and charging in this same verse, it's the same word, range of meanings, both sides of the coin. I'll describe what the Bible is saying in just a second. I find no grounds for charging him. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. It's Passover, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. And then the Bible wants you to know who they were asking for. Barabbas is a revolutionary. Barabbas started a riot. Barabbas tried to burn down Jerusalem to kick out the, Jew, or kick out the Roman leaders. And a lot of people are going to die if Barabbas has his way. And the crowd is saying, we would rather have Barabbas the rebel, Barabbas the revolutionary, than we would have Jesus making the kind of statements that he made in church on Sunday. There's a custom that the religious leaders followed because God put this into practice way back in the Old Testament on Passover, there were two lambs. One of those lambs would be a sacrifice, and the throat would be split, and the blood would, be, the blood would spill out, and the death of that pure, innocent lamb, lamb did nothing wrong to deserve this, the blood of that lamb, the priest would ask God, because of the blood of this innocent lamb, would you forgive our sins? We deserve what happened to this lamb. But most of you, who know the Bible, know there's a second lamb on Passover. This lamb is called the scapegoat. And this lamb, the priest would place their hands on the lamb, and they would confess the sins of Israel. They would confess their own sins. They would place their sins, listen to this, on the lamb, and then they would send the lamb free. It's called the scapegoat because the lamb got to escape the sacrifice. It would go off into the wilderness and that lamb could do whatever it wanted for the rest of its life because that lamb was the scapegoat. Now you have two lambs. It's Passover Sunday, Jesus and Barabbas. One of them is innocent. 
One of them is guilty. Everybody in town knows one of them is guilty, to include Pilate. And Pilate's saying, I can let one of them go free. Which do you want? Barabbas or your king? And the Jews cry out, we would rather have that rebel revolutionary Barabbas than Jesus. And Barabbas becomes the scapegoat. And Jesus becomes the sacrifice. Did you know that when God instituted the sacrifice way back in the Old Testament, it wasn't so that Jesus would fulfill it? It was actually the other way around, so that Jesus, that sacrifice would point Israel for thousands of years to what was going to happen today. There's going to be a scapegoat, and he actually deserves to die. And the one who doesn't deserve to die is going to go to the cross. Pilate even uses this language. You see, he uses the same word, and he says, I have examined him. There's no evidence. There's no charge that deserves death. And the opposite side of the word is Pilate is saying, this man is innocent. Why do you want me to kill him so bad? And the crowds start to chant, Barabbas, Barabbas. And what you see next Sunday is, we just want you to kill Jesus. That's all we want. Make that man go away. That's how bad they want to get rid of Jesus. I'm going to go back to the beginning of this sermon for just a second. You are inundated from every side, every second, every scene that you look at is trying to tell you where your value is, trying to tell you your worth in society. But it's not how skinny you are. It's not how pretty you are. It's not how much money you make. It's not what your grades are in your next report card. Listen to me, warriors. It's not an OER or an NCOER that can decide your value in life. The only one that truly can tell you your worth is the king of the universe who knows you inside and out, who sees not just your actions, but your attitudes. And he says, you're so valuable to me. Listen to these words. I would rather die for you than live without you. And if your forgiveness requires my life, then I'll give it up. And what I want to do is I want to pray for all of us. I need this prayer. You need to hear this prayer. Somebody listening to this broadcast, maybe you need to be changed by Jesus for the first time. If that's you, I'm going to pray over you in just a second. But for others of you in this room, what you need is to come away from the lies and to spend time with the truth. The only solution to tuning out the lies is to listen to the truth so much that you can recognize the lies and you can identify that's not what God thinks about me. That may be what the rest of the world thinks about me, but it's not what God thinks about me. And I will thank God's thoughts about me, not what everyone else in the world thinks about me. That's my prayer for you. That's my challenge for you. If you will start to do that this week, this week will be different for you. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.